Hey, this is Ross Payton with Roblin Public Radio. Uh, we're here at Gen Con 2015 for Beyond Lawful Good and Evil, a panel on, you know, ethics and morality and uh, role-playing games. Uh, and with me is uh, Caleb and... Andreas. Andreas. So. Yes, uh, you can tell it's Saturday. Uh, our voices get sexier and more anti-hero-y <laughs> as it uh, goes on. I feel like the guy from Deuce, I didn't ask for this. Um, <clears throat> yes, uh, so I'm Caleb Stokes. Uh, writer of uh, No Soul Left Behind, which is the first campaign book for uh, Better Angels and No Security, Hyrule Scenarios in the Great Depression. Uh, I've also done uh, other freelancing for Arc Dream Publishing, and I've done a lot of work for Eclipse Phase. <coughs> and I am currently uh, beta testing my new game called Red Markets. Um, I find ethical concepts uh, deeply interesting, and I, I think much like Roth, I find them the motivating factor behind playing. Uh, yeah. ethical choices behind playing RPGs uh, like why I want to write them and be in the GM chair so uh, I figured we'd talk about that you want to introduce yourself and plug yourself I'm, I'm Andreas Walters I am the I'm Middle Wave Games and the creator of the Baby Bestiary um, which is used to challenge players oh, yes it's me <laughs> um, I'm almost out of books by the way <laughs> at least here buy his book yeah, but, uh, but essentially that was designed to challenge, I guess, the player's perspective on, you know, not is it just worth XP, um, but like you, instead of a cave with an owlbear, it's owlbear cubs. Like, you're not going to kill them, okay, so you're going to want to raise them and rear them and probably want to ride them at some point. Um, and so it's, what are the challenges that come with rearing something? Or if you encounter something that's, you know, the baby and the mother, are you really going to kill the mother? Because you're just a horrible person. Or is for the XP. Yeah. Um, so, and then in addition to that, I've also, I've done several courses in moral philosophy. I've done actually studies on my players. They didn't know about it until I told them later. Um, <laughs> about um, ethical choices and moral choices that they do as players in their player agency and how that implies into their characters. Uh, in addition, I'm also working on another book, which is essentially is how to be evil and not be a dick. Um, which I'm, it's still in process, in progress, but... It'll be essentially how to be evil but not be a torturous rapist. And a lot of people have problems with moral ethics because they just think evil is evil. Yeah, or the alignment of evil is the D&D alignment evil, and that's it. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I think we should talk about um, the, a brief history of alignments and its problems. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, uh, of course, we're talking about the origins of the holiday at this point, and D&D is such a lasting and great design because it has so much negative space in which uh, the players can sort of define their own existence. There is very little... Except for alignment. Yeah, yeah, there's... Well, until alignment until comes around. So alignment's not eventually there, and eventually it's just like, you're going to go in a dungeon, you're going to kill stuff, you're going to take their things. I don't know why, and I don't care. Figure it out. And uh, Gary Gygax can't be questioned, so obviously that's the way it should be. Uh, but that leads to a certain uh, default morality that did not find a lot of uh, traction in the genre of like high fantasy that D&D is trying to eliminate because, you know, uh, Frodo didn't go to Mordor because he heard those orcs had gold in their pockets and mugged him <laughs> in like a dark alley. There wasn't just some hobbit just like... <laughs> Man, flesh eater, come down here! God, like shanking people and like rifling through their pockets, which is the basic conception of D and D, and it's awesome and fun. But you needed a way to explain why people did things, 
and so alignment pops up, which I think is a noble effort, if not effective. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I would argue. But uh, if you're newer to gaming, like I am, it, you know, kind of sort of. But most of you probably aren't. But you know, uh, lawful evil. Like wrapping your head around that concept is sort of bizarre in the first place, uh, and then you know the fact that you speak a different language than people who are good, which is just perplexing, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, what, what I find interesting about the D and D alignment system is that they are such they automatically refer to tropes. Mm-hmm. You have like lawful evil. Well, he's the mastermind, you know, and then you have chaotic evil. Well, he's just a sadistic, crazy, you know, idiot—not an idiot, but he's essentially the Joker. You know, he's going to go around and do things just because he can, and you know, for the will and fun of it. I mean, Loki is technically chaotic neutral. Uh, well, sorry, North original Norse mythology Loki is chaotic neutral because he does things because he can, and it, it causes change. He is an agent of change, as is like the wolf and. Uh, common mytho- in Native American mythology. I mean, sorry, coyote. So. Yeah. Well, originally, you know, it is important to point out that the 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 sort of two part alignment of lawful, neutral chaos for, and good neutral evil uh, was originally just lawful, neutral, chaotic. Like they didn't the good and evil aspect of it was added on in a, a later edition. Originally, yeah. Um, because originally we came from you know Michael Moorcock's uh, Stormbringer. Uh, or Prince Elric, um, the series of stories. So uh, they added on. I guess that that wasn't good enough. Uh, it wasn't you know useful enough to say I'm lawful. I'm going to kill everything. I'm chaotic. I'm going to kill everything. Uh, he's like, no, please everything. try to be good. All right, you know. Um, so yeah. Uh, and so like in the best case, uh, the traditions of the RPG hobby with its obsessions on violence and obsessions on like. Skinner boxing people into continuing through like financial and experience progressions defaults in the best case to utilitarianism. Uh, so practicality is king. Uh, the best case, uh, if you want an example of utilitarianism, Spock. We should kill one person if it saves ten people, and you should accept that that is the best choice available to you. It needs to be. It's a very materialistic form of ethics in that the action which creates the greatest good or the action which causes the least harm is always the right choice. So in in D and D, it's like well. Uh, these goblins have their own cultures. These orcs have their own cultures. They raise young. They have the ability to make clothes and weapons. They're pretty advanced for civilization. This happened to live in a hole. Pretty ethically undefe- indefensible to go genociding through the hallways of their of their home. That's why they set up traps. Like you're literally a burglar. Uh, Raiding them. <laughs> but it's way better than the fact that their culture like has them hunt humans and they burn down the village and there's all these infants and like. Uh, they had a food shortage. Yeah, it, yeah. If the orc if the orc menace continues, more people will die than if we wipe it out in one pace. Best case, utilitarianism and ethics. Worst case, you get what is commonly referred to as murder hobism. Hobo. Yeah, uh, murder hobos. Your characters have no families. Your characters have no motivations. Your characters have no friends. Your characters like just dug a hole in the ground, covered it with sheet metal, and they sit there sharpening blades until it's time to go kill some creature and take its things. And then they go to town once. I need a better blade. They buy it. They go back to their hole and they wait. Like, uh, yeah, they they are murder hobos, uh, and that's the worst case default uh, ethical because you know, I mean, it doesn't even. It doesn't even accurately reflect 
you know, borderline personality disorder or sociopathy. I mean, like, it's just, ugh. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a lot of players, this utilitarian, it isn't even really utilitarianism. It I comes, said best case. Yeah, well, <laughs> all right. Because, I mean, for a lot of players, it's tr- it really, t- it's not even about that. It's just tribalism. Like, I'm on team good, you're on team evil, I have to kill you. So it doesn't matter. Uh, a lot of players will just like, oh, will understand that not killing an orc who like, hi, I'm I'm Bob the orc. Hey, how are you doing? Do you want some soup? I'm like, come on in. And like, ah, oh, and then they stab him and throw it. Well, he's an orc. He's uh, his species is categorized as evil in the monster manual, therefore evil. Uh, so uh, that's it says evil. Yeah, it says evil. So. <laughs> Um, that's as far, and a lot of games sort of encourage that, you know, uh, certainly video games uh, have, I think, kind of exacerbated that tendency. And even more, uh, I think it results in player agency and options, like, uh, if a player is not, is not creative or, you know, not thinking about their options, it's like, well, what can I do? I'm locked out of the, I'm, there's a bar, you know, there's a bouncer in my way, and I need to get into this bar. What are my options? Well, I can kill him. Well, that's the easiest way to do it. Well, actually, it really isn't mechanically the easiest way to do it, but I mean, it's a lot. It, violence is an easy resort, um, easy to resort to. It's what the system is designed to do well is combat. So players automatically fall into this trap of resorting to violence, um, personal or self-promotion and self-preservation, and it, the system, almost the rule set in itself, encourages players to fall into these traps of yeah. which. I mean, they don't know. I mean, they'll subconsciously. Well, I mean, subconsciously, unknowingly, you fall to those defaults of default actions. Like, so there's a dragon. Okay, well, we're going to kill it. Well, why are you going to kill the dragon? You could probably talk to it. I mean, it's not going to attack you right off the bat. I mean, unless you're like in its gold, you know, in its treasure hoard, you know, putting things in your pockets, going, oh. Uh-oh. Well, I think, you know, one interesting problem that's sort of unique to RPGs is that a lot of players think that their characters, their player characters are special. They have the PC Halo, so therefore the rules of, like, they can't, they don't think, I'm a person in this world, I should, like, think of, from that perspective, it's like, I'm a player character, I need to do, like, my best example for this is, like, in a, in a I think it was, like, All Flesh Must Be Eaten type game, um, which is a zombie apocalypse game. There was a player who was, you know, the zombies were breaking out, everyone was going there, and it's like, I'm unarmed. Okay, yeah, I look for a weapon. Uh, well, you don't see anything, you know, the cop's holding back the zombie, shooting him with his gun. Like, oh, well, I'll just, well, I'll grab a rock and hit the cop on the head and take his gun. <laughs> Why would you do that? He's trying to save your life. He has a gun that I want. And, <laughs> and like, there are other cops around. <laughs> Think yeah, about this. and that and that the thing it didn't occur to play like in real life that player probably wouldn't have done that in the same situation. Yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> but he thinks because he's a play a, a player character in game that he yeah he's special and therefore morality does not apply to him or a different set of morality. He should be the hero because he's the player character. Yeah, and then I'll flip over to like the NPC perspective. Like imagine you run a small bar in a small town, barely scraping by, a bunch of people come in, they don't order anything, then they get pissed off that this old man is not telling them a plot fast enough. So they just wreck the place. <laughs> they they just start stabbing and punching <laughs> random people because I mean how many and bar fights fireball. Yeah, how many bar fights have occurred just because the uh, GM did not deliver plot at the speed at which the PCs wanted. He's like, oh no, I, I got this daily. This I, daily ain't gonna use itself. Like, yeah, uh, that, 
Um, well, if we stab him, we can take the map, and he will just shut up. So yeah. we don't have to listen to him talk about it. Yeah, I've got a research skill. I don't need you, dead. Um, uh, yeah, so it's like, uh, I think it really comes from two things. Uh, like you're talking about player agency thing. I think part of it's a lack of investment and engagement in the setting. So like the example I use is like video games currently on now. So like Grand Theft Auto, I am your typical Grand Theft Auto player. Uh, the only character I've ever liked in Grand Theft Auto is Trevor because he's every player character, and I love the meta thing of that. I don't like him as a person. Five or? Uh, yeah, in uh, five. Uh, I play five. So. Uh, they're all loathsome, so like, I, and, I, and they're simulationists, like these massive worlds of people walking around. So yeah, I drive down the sidewalk and sees what happens, because like, the character's a monster already. I literally have, can just wander around. It's open world. Whereas Bloodborne, I'm the kind of guy who's like, please monsters stop attacking me. I want to look at the gothic architecture. I'm just like <laughs> running around them and, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I'm really invested in that world and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's a lack of investment and engagement in the setting. Like if you really care about the fate of the well, world, also, you don't want to mess around with the people in it as much as if it's just like you only care about making that number on your sheet. And I think the other thing is differing communication. So like some people are in there for the power fantasy, some people are in there for the challenge of maximizing the character and doing the dice roll, and then a lot of people are in there for narrativist reasons or uh, uh, you know the ability to invest in the setting and, and do something of that nature. They want to contribute to the story, not just be a particip- you know participant while the GM reads it to them. And those people are going to have differing values in that. Like our RPPR group would be thrown out of many people's home games because like like oh there's a merchant he has a funny accent let's talk to him for three hours <laughs> uh, let's leave the dice on the table and just have a chat and like other people are like oh my god get out the grid maps already um and and so uh, i think that will lead to murder hubism too if your group has like differing goals and you haven't really communicated that effectively yeah and also part of it yeah the pretenses of what you start a game you know like what are you expecting to get out of this what do your player what do your players expect to get out of this or what do you pretense your players to get out of it and part also an interesting thing is like you know think about the core books you know how big of a section do they have on special combat yeah um like how much grappling rules special combat blindness darkness you know it's the section on exploration or discovery so I'm a third-party license to Monty Cook Games for the Numenera and Cipher system. And that's also something else I do. Um, but also part of that is, you know, let's take away the focus from combat. It works like skills. So combat is not, like, a big difference in terms of normal gameplay. So let's be done with that and focus on the world building because the world building is what we're getting players engaged with. We're getting them engaged in discovery, getting them engaged with communication and dis- discovering. Um, and finding new things and changing the world as it is with those discoveries. Yeah. And so it's kind of also the pretenses of which you come into a game. Because when you know, oh, Numenera is about discovery and engagement, so you're really going to do dungeon crawling, but you might not be killing as many things as you think you do are, or you're not going to be killing people. So, I mean, you have a different expectation when you come in and you go to a city, you're not going to think about, oh, yeah, I totally kill him, you know, because he's in my way or he's just annoying. So uh, for for murder hobism as a problem, uh, and we will also talk about like ethical concepts to just experiment with in your game, like additive kind of stuff. But if you're having murder hobo problems, the way to really do it is to it's utilitarianism on crack. So just remove utility or distance utility. So in my mind, there's like a wrong way and a right way to do that. I think the wrong way is fable, like. <laughs> 
Uh, so if you played that video game, I made good choices. My plus three sword is white and glows with electricity. And then if you're on your next play, I made terrible choices. My plus three sword is red and glows with fire. Like... It's cosmetic. Yeah, it is cosmetic. I mean, like, if you read The Republic or something, like, Plato's talking about the reason we need to have discussion about why we should be good is because there are no rewards in the mortal plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you, you don't get a sword for not being, like, a psycho and killing people. You, you, it's just not there. Um, so the, so uh, that, that's the big philosophical problem of ethics. Like, why should I when there's nothing for me? Uh, now, it doesn't have to be nothing, but what you have to do is you have to make the utility of actions uncertain or distanced. Uh, so the telltale model is a much more intricate model for de- developing ethics in a video game, if you want that. Uh, so like The Walking, I have these two choices. I have imperfect information. Oh, you're talking about like The Walking Dead. Yeah, The, the, the Walking Dead Telltale uh, video game series. Or you could do the Game of Thrones or many Telltale games are that way. Uh, they, there are these choices. They may have utility, but that utility might not be what you thought it was because you had imperfect information. It may be greatly delayed, so the situation has changed in between making that choice or not. And those are extremely interesting, engaging ethical choices in a game. That that choice point is much more interesting than I murder all the orphans for this sword or I save all the orphans for this sword uh, because you know that that's cosmetic. It's not ethical. Uh, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, like uh, in one example, Cale's um, running currently running a game called Red Markets uh, that he's beta testing for our the RPPR group, and uh, many times we're given an option of like going on several different jobs. Like, and in one case, you know, there are three jobs available that we could take. We could only take one of them because you know by the time we finish that job, the other two would have been we couldn't have you know fulfilled those. And the job we didn't take was one where uh, it's a post-apocalyptic, kind of a post-apocalyptic world, um, and, like, lions got out of a zoo and were attacking people, and we didn't go hunt down those lions. And because we didn't do that, the lions started spreading around, and they attacked a lot of people, and uh, we, you know, we had we thought, you know, we were like, well, that's, you know, kind of not important, but we later came across, like, a trade caravan that was attacked by the lions and that everyone there was dead. And so, like, we didn't... Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we did. We did loot le- le- their stuff and sell it. But we the felt bad evil. about it. And, <laughs> and uh, on a practical sense, like, later on, our own, like, enclave was, like, attacked by the lions. Like, someone, a lion snuck over the fence and ate somebody and, like, escaped. Uh, and so, like, that, we didn't have that perfect information. We didn't realize that not going Going after the lions would have re- come to this, and if we not taken the job we did, I forgot which one we took instead. There would have been consequences yeah. for that. And so, like, there, you have imperfect information, and you 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 like you do in the real world. That's the best way to do it. Is like, and side note, that's an awesome way to deal with players that aren't following your plot. Um, if they're sidelining and you know, you're like you're not like railroading them, but if they're like sidelining and not really paying attention to the evil cult that wants to summon the demon lord, you know, summon the demon lord. Come on. You know, if they're paying attention to looting and dealing with bandits and farmers and trying to extort money, you know, summon the demon lord. Say, hey, look, you know, you There's this a, happened. You failed to address this problem, and now you got to deal with that, or you're to run away. Um, depending that, on where there, you are. I have a good example for that too. Exactly. Um, 
in a superhero campaign I ran, uh, The Heroes of New Arcadia, uh, which is like a superhero comic book with magic and sci-fi stuff. Uh, for various reasons, one of the player characters goes into hell. Uh, and yeah, he goes to hell to, to get a particular damn soul that can unlock a door he wants to get into, uh, which is already kind of dubious. But along the way he hears a woman screaming while you know he's in hell and she's being tortured and she's like oh that poor woman uh i'll go and save her and woman's like all right thanks take me back to earth uh and he does and then she goes as like an undead revenant and starts murdering the people that killed her and so she goes on this murderous rampage and I'm like oh why did that happen well because she was in hell you know <laughs> she was a damn soul she was angry at the people who sent her there say what you want about hell they're good at what they do yes so, okay. She's not exactly an innocent. You want anything to bring back? Yeah. yeah. So he wasn't really thinking about like the con. Like I'm in hell. Maybe that person I'm rescuing isn't innocent. Maybe he's that person's there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and he just was just like, oh no, that poor you know. So he wasn't paying attention. So well, I mean, it's but at least that's engagement in the setting. Yeah. Like at least he was like, oh no, that poor woman. It wasn't just like my GM making voice sounds at me. <laughs> Off to go get more Save numbers for person. my team. Yeah. I'll give you. Yeah, I didn't give him. Reward for doing that. I just said, okay, so. you could do that. Uh, and it's not like you can't have utility for good actions, but it needs to be. So, like last night, again, another Red Marcus game. They got to a job site and they realized that they were stealing from this evil governmental organization. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but the person they were doing it for was going to do it in this thing that was like horribly exploitative, and he was going to extort money out of the populace. Uh, and here's what I only told one character that, so I gave him these choices. All right, you have to get paid. My game has upkeep, so if you don't feed yourself and your family, you die in between games. You have to make enough money to get from month to month, just like I do. Um, so, like, look, you all are barely making, you're all barely making profit on this. It is you know it's a horrible thing. Here's what you can do. You can make a severe check against your humanity, which is sort of like a sanity mechanic. I just don't like the sanity term. Uh, and it's just going to horribly degrade your emotional well-being. Uh, but you will protect everyone else as a group because they won't know it's going to happen. They will get paid. You will feed their families on your own. You will take the sin for them. Or you let everyone know and you make the decision together. You rationalize and you join in the conspiracy. You get your money, but you make a less severe check. Or you just eat it. You get to go home, tell your kids they're going to go hungry. Uh, but you get to feel good about yourself. Or you can find a way to fulfill the letter of the contract and then sabotage it later, but disguise your interest in doing it. And that option, which is the big damn hero's option, let's get paid and screw this jerk over at the same time, that is by far the most risky, least appealing option in terms of utilitarian value. They had to get past the military guys. They had to uh, elaborately hack all these things and break in all these doors and risk their lives all these ways. And that was, and that's an interesting choice point. And, th and uh, I play tested it twice last night. One group managed to do it. The other group couldn't manage to do it and made the hard choice. And that was interesting because it was just about where the dice flow and your strategy for the game. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, this money's white and the other money's red. Like, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think that's the way you uh, cure murder hobos. Uh, it, it is... Uh, a bastardized form of utility, so remove that utility or place it further away from the action uh, so that it is a journey to get there. I'm a bit confused because that actually seems like the most direct form of utilitarian. Um, don't go on the actual risk to yourself is rather high, but the, the 
good result is so much higher than any of the other results. If you allow the evil to take place, you get the contract. That's causing a lot of negative utility. You can't just think of your own party and go utility. You have to think of the repercussions for the world. So in CISA, you actually have to do do that to get anything close to a proper utilitarian result. Well, not necessarily because. Nothing he was going to do to extort and destroy people had anything to do with the characters or families, uh, and the and the way and the way it works in the setting. And I know I'm being unclear because it's an unpublished game, oh, obviously. Uh, is that the zombie apocalypse happens, but it's unevenly distributed. So there are areas in which there are no zombies. They have walls, and the states function as they once were with reduced population. And you didn't luck out, and you got stuck on the wrong side of the fence. So you can smuggle yourself across the border, but it costs an enormous amount of money. So the whole thing's about pulling jobs for these people who need stuff. Like, they need to know where property is. They need to know grandma's still wandering around. Put her out of her misery. You do jobs for them so you can save up enough to smuggle yourself and your family into safety because it's just a matter of time. So that's the thing. Like, what's my responsibility? Is my responsibility to all of humanity or is my responsibility to my family? Do I let my child suffer or do that kind of stuff? And that's the thing. If you are pure utilitarian as well, little Timmy, sorry, you're just one and everybody else in the wasteland did this. But that's going to grate your brain. Like, biologically, you are not set up to think that way because you're not a Vulcan. So there's a mechanical focus on, like, yes, you can tell your kid to suck it up and go forage in the woods. But that is not going to make you feel very good about yourself in the long run. It's going to hurt you personally. How, how much do you value yourself in this community? Like, oh, is my sanity so important that I can't hurt my own sanity for the use? You know, so it's, it's very much you're not like the chosen one in that game. You're a person trying to get by and your choices affect you and others. And it's like how you how you function. Um, but beyond murder hobbyism, because I don't want to talk. I want to talk about like adding cool stuff to your games, because um, there's way more ethical concepts out there than utilitarianism, um, and they're all very interesting to treat in fantasy and sci-fi settings. Uh, but the major problem is, is thou shalt not role playing. So a lot of ethical conceptions are based on uh, taboo and things being forbidden. And it's not like I want you to like go crazy and just you know Caligula in the game, but it. It violates a basic principle of improv in that a lot of ethical conceptions are dependent on saying no, which in an ensemble cast where you're trying to generate a story, that's not yes and, and that's not yes but, that's stopping. So I think we should do a scene in a cheese factory. I'm lactose intolerant, no. Game stops dead. Like yeah. So uh, when you do an ethical concept in a game, you have to be careful about making sure it is additive. Uh, that this person who is going to have this ethical conception, this character that's going to follow this ethos, they have a way of, through their actions, not through their lack of actions, entering the story with that ethos and making apparent that's what their, their character follows. They cannot do things. Obviously, that's key to many ethical Best example of that yeah. is Lawful Stupid. I mean, everyone knows the Paladin, <laughs> yeah. and if you've watched the gamers... I mean, not the gamers, a Dorkness Rising, you know. Oh, we need to torture this guy for information. There's an evildoer outside. What? I'll kill him. Okay, now we can go get him. You know, it's not like, it's not a burden, you know. It's because it's like, oh, can we torture the guy? Nope, he's lawful good. So, yeah, we got to deal with this. Or like the way. player who insists on killing the orc because they're evil in the monster manual, even though, like, you know, he's an orc paladin, he's fine. No, he's evil, yeah. yeah. Although, wouldn't that just be an example of uh, Kantian categorical imperative? 
Uh, yeah, that would be absolute. Uh, that'd be absolutism or divine command, and it, only instead of God, you're using the monster manual, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is problematic. Uh, <laughs> it says so right here. He is evil. Yeah. I use problematic in a conference. I get an academia point. <laughs> I leveled up in, yeah. in academia. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's just talk about. We talk a lot about utilitarianism uh, and like making sure it's actual utilitarianism and not just psychopathy. Uh, uh, so there's lots of ways that works in the games already, and, and that's sort of the default assessment because like you have no sensory information, you have no biological imperatives. It is just paper and your imagination and the disconnect between that and the way we really live sort of leads to a utilitarian you've, you're literally turning the world into math in most RPGs well that's utilitarianism yeah that's utilitarianism um, so uh, there's other stuff so like uh, cultural ethical relativism so like the baby bestiary is absolutely great at that so could you, t- could you talk yeah, about yeah so I mean the baby bestiary I mean so as I said, you know, it's talking about, you know, well, I mean, it doesn't talk about it directly, but it more provides the idea of what if you insert something adorable that's incredibly, will be incredibly dangerous and probably kill you, that's incredibly adorable and, you know, cute, you know, in front of you. Like, what are you going to do? It's like, it's a baby Rakshasa. Well, it's can be ridiculous. Well, I mean, I also throw... Uh, nature and nurture into there, so if you want to mess with that, too. But it's like, if you think of a Rakshasa as a Rakshasa, in the basic D&D sense, it's evil, but it's baby. So, do I kill it to save the future lives of people, or can I make it something good? Or, like, what do I, what do, I do to this thing that's in front of me? I, I can't just leave it alone. Something's gonna happen. So, it kind of throws in that, you know, what is right and wrong, and why, you know, do I kill it, do I not? You know, you have all these different social factors of, like, am I, am I doing it for society? Am I doing it for myself? Am I stealing babies for myself? You know, am I going to go into an owlbear cave, risk my life, you know, or go to a manticore? Um, loft, not a loft. Um, but, you know, go into the mountains and go to a manticore nest and, you know, steal a baby manticore, which I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. But go ahead and try. And, you know, raise it for yourself. But, I mean, like, you're causing... You're risking your life. You're obviously stealing a baby. I mean, you're not going to go into a city and steal babies from people. I mean, are you? Campaign idea. <laughs> we need you to steal ten children. I guess detect alignment of all the parents. Anyone who's evil, I'm going to steal their babies. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I teach high school, and so I have to answer the why are we learning anything at all ever question. You know, insert subject here a lot. And, and the thing I, I bring up is uh, a little thought experiment. Okay, like imagine you've never gone to school. You don't know how to read. You have no conception of anything about the world except what you have seen and what people have told you. And you are told that the gods are real, the gods demand sacrifice, and the gods need things. So you have a daughter. She's a beautiful little girl. She's got a skin condition, but that's it. She's healthy. She's happy. She's fine. Uh, the head of the uh, village comes to you and says, we really need to kill your little girl as a sacrifice so the rains will come. If it doesn't happen, everyone in the village is going to starve and die. Uh, we're we in the middle of a drought. We've really got to do this. You gotta, you gotta man up and make the hard choice. And so, the guy honestly believes this and kills his little girl. That is stuff that happens in very, very rural African villages and in history before, uh, because albinism is considered you're a witch, you've brought drought, you've done stuff like that. Now, is that man evil? 
considering he only know he doesn't know anything about the water cycle he doesn't know anything about crop <coughs> rotation he doesn't know anything about pe what people have told him he thinks he is doing something to save hundreds of people he is making the same choice God made with Jesus is he evil sorry son yeah is he doing for that yeah Abraham says you know you know, you know I said done to Abraham bring me a son like is that person evil and so what I say to my kids is like education does not ensure morality but it enables it like, if he had known about water cycle, if he known that no amount of young girl blood would make it rain, and then made, and then made that choice, certainly evil. I'm not going to argue that in any way, shape, or form. But if his intentions are legitimate, that's cultural elitism. How am I supposed to know? Considering the information, what he has, how can I call that evil if that's his best of intentions? Because humanity does not have a lot of cackling, snidely whiplash twirl the mustache, tie the girl in the train tracks villains. We don't have a lot of guys who wake up and like, today I shall be the antagonist. <laughs> like, nobody does that. Everybody thinks of the good guy. You're the main character in your book. I'm the main character in my book. We're both right. Yeah, yeah. And everyone else is secondary. And that's how the natural human condition, uh, and that's cultural relativism, like, examining that and the sort of, like, endless ethical problems that come with that. And it ties yeah. directly into Kant, uh, the ontological um, my brain. Day three. Um, hmm? day three of Gen Con. So. <laughs> yeah. yes, day the ontological day three of Gen Con. Yeah. <laughs> um, at which, you know, Kant is essentially why did you do that action? Am I stealing medicine to save my grandmother or to save my wife? You know, is the reason for my actions justified? And does that make my action good? Um, and then there's obviously the flip side, which is utilitarianism is, well, was my action, did it result in good? You know, by killing these orcs, it resulted in good. There was increased safety. Or, you know, but you could also be the paladin that says they're evil and I am vanquishing them for, you know, so it's all about justification and ramification or I guess cause and effect. Um, so, I mean, they go hand in hand depending on how you want to operate, but they also tie in. I mean, there's no one right moral operating system. There's a great thing about, you know, technology and morality, like what governs, like, should I look at your data and know exactly your finances, your health records? And everything about your clicking patterns and your emails, should I save that information to keep myself safe and, you know, in case you're a terrorist in a sleeper cell to stop potential threats? Or should I let, you know, let you keep your privacy and have you, you know, and respect your space? You know, it's a thing that most technologists don't think about. There's only a few that do. Uh, another thing that's interesting, especially if you want to do this kind of stuff in your games, is the instance of time. There are any number of fantasy settings or sci-fi settings which deal with like huge passages of time. And the way social norms change over time is like the clearest example of cultural relativism and positive. So think about slavery. Like, I know when I was a kid, and I know my kids now, when we talk about the ethos of slavery, the justifications for it, like everything people thought did to rationalize itself for them, it just like... Like, was everyone in the world crazy? Like, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. They can't even wrap their heads around it. And what I have to do is, like, kids, we are barbarians. Assuming human progress. Resources. Yeah, assuming human progress, assuming, like, we're approaching the singularity, some future generation is going to look past on us the same way you're looking at those slave owners. And the thing is, because we're inside it, we don't see it. So what is it going to be? Is it going to be they live in this 200-degree, everyday, exhaust-chose wasteland? It's like, why did they keep driving cars? They freaking knew for 50 years 
that before they invented an electric car that it was bad. They saw glaciers collapsing, mass extinctions. They just kept doing it. Like, that's utterly ridiculous. Or like, uh, if you want to go further, like eclipse phase, like we uplift an animal that can talk now. It's like, why did they keep eating them? It's insanely inefficient. It's cruel. It causes monstrous amounts of pain. It's so bananas. Uh, does anybody have one of these? You so you support child slavery? Yeah. Cause you do. Yeah. You got a rare earth males, warlords, you foxcon slavery by another name. In a history book, you're a slaver. Cause you financially support that institution. Did you think about that when you went to the Apple store? I'm guessing no. So that's cultural relativism. You can't really condense someone else's morals in their own culture because you're equally blind to your own. Yeah, so you should always bring that up in your great. That's great, especially and also slaves. To it. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. If you want someone the PCs don't have to feel bad killing about slavers are my go-to villain for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you have uh, like uh, this massive thousands of years Tolkien-esque fantasy setting, like uh, humans are going to view past humans as animals. Elves are going to view humans as like uh, utter barbarians. What are all those orcs going to do? Yeah, yeah. Orcs are going to think. Uh, orcs are going to think pretty much every other sentient race is completely insane. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that, that's the cultural relativism angle. And anytime you can bring that up in your game, you are world building. That is the very definition of it. You're implying factions. That's huge for verisimilitude, which is the fancy word for the appearance of being real. Because of course we don't have magic swords and stuff. Uh, you're looking. You're not looking for realism. You're only looking for the sensation. Of the real internal consistency, internal consistency, yeah. yeah. Uh, so th- that's cultural realism. Uh, another thing that's great is, uh, especially in fantasy game, is divine command and moral absolutism. Um, DS Quest. Yeah. So, do you guys want to talk about that in in games and like the uh, cleric problem, basically? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, one one sort of problematic area of moral and ethics, especially in D anD D, is actually what I brought up earlier: the detect alignment spell. Um, like, how do you? How does that? Like, the way that it is described in most manuals is like if he if he says team evil he pops up on your magic radar and you can smite him because your paladin has a class ability that can kill those people regardless of who they are or what they're doing you you could smite that lawful evil peasant hoeing you know the field uh more efficiently than the lawful good uh baron who is exploiting that peasant's labor you know um and so how you think about what in for me when I run a D and D type game with those kind of spells in there, I only say supernatural creatures, creatures who lack free will, like angels and demons, uh, actually pop up on that radar, and that uh, that's the only thing that applies to it uh, because I don't think people people with free will can't like in you know if you're dealing with fantasy with moral absolutism, um, creatures that have free will can't be categorically good or evil. Yeah. Yeah, you can't just kill everyone who pops up on your ra- your I'm magic sorry, radar. Is evil. I mean, that's the logic of serial killers. If you're <laughs> saying like the my God, the voice in my head, I mean, I'm sorry, my alignment uh, detection spell says you're evil, so I have to kill you and steal your stuff. Like that's yeah, so that's something to be aware of uh, uh the 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 ethics of yeah, alignment spells. Uh, uh so yeah, so uh just to define this, uh divine command moral absolutism means that certain uh act, certain behaviors are uh ordained as right and others are ordained as wrong by a higher authority. Uh so they're not inherent in the actions themselves. There is a there is a deity or a force of some sort that inherently so the force or and leader. 
Yeah, the Force in Star Wars is a divine command morality. There is inherently a light, light side, and there is inherently dark side, as commanded by your ability to negotiate the metachlorians. Uh, uh, in D&D, there are deities uh, that literally tell you. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, so the cleric problem is what I refer to as, like, how do you realistically model what religious faith actually is in a world where I can literally call God to me if I roll a 15. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you don't believe? Here he is. Tell him yourself. Uh, like, yeah, then like, uh, and I'm not, I, I'm not arguing against faith. I'm saying that that fundamentally makes it not faith. That is something different. That is the main fantasy conceit. Like, I can physically manifest God in a room in some way. Um, and ask then, him a question. Yeah, and then you have some sort of like, uh, and you know, it's like, so you might want to problematize that and bring that more in ordained. It's like, all right, the cleric thinks the way he shoots lightning bolts out of his mace is from God. Uh, it's obviously alchemy. <laughs> what a you know you know what a village you know simpleton. Uh, you could do that where there's disagreements about where those forces are manifested as it comes from. But uh, you could also do you know serious moral absolutism. There is a higher force. It is said. It is this way. It is that way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Question. The polytheistic issue. That's a good point. But at the same time, couldn't you bring in? <clears throat> The relativism of the fact that there are multiple deities, and you have ten different deities. And that's the polytheism issue. Well, yeah. this is moral, and this is moral, and this is moral. So at the end, yeah, and that's the polytheism with, issue. Is that you now, and that's like, a, who's your patron? Is that patron your like only god? Am I only worshiping Thor? You know, or am I only worshiping Odin or any mm-hmm. other or Greek gods? Because that's uh, you know because. How those faiths actually worked is you worshipped all of them. You might have a favorite, you know, but you're worshipping all of those gods. And that oh, so yeah, a true pantheon that interacts. A true pantheon, you know, like the mass of 70 gods. That Rather than I just, I created this part of the world and physics over this part of the world are his job. And, yeah, it's like a company that doesn't cooperate well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how much a higher power a D&D god would be me. I don't know about you. My campaigns, my players, really like making a habit of finding the gods they dislike the most and murdering them as systematically as soon as they hit the level and then replacing with themselves. And generally, the reason for this is actually not as sociopathic as it sounds. So why are they allowing all this weird stuff in this? Or, you know, dear God, you created beholders. What's wrong with you? Um, yeah, there's a new game out that's like, that's literally the whole plot. Go kill God, right? Just tell me the name, I need to buy something. Myth, <laughs> Mythender? Mythbreaker? Something? Yeah, something like, it's like It's basically like Preacher if it took place in Viking times, I think. It's like, yeah, I'm real tired of how he's running things. I think I'm going to go be God now. And like, I can do a better job. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is, the, which is not moral absolutism. If you can go become management... <laughs> that's not that's not moral absolutism. Uh, yeah. So cycling back to the uh, divine morality, mm-hmm. and you used a tech alignment to say this guy is evil. Is you're not as a GM when your player asks that, and you're like you go back to your orc example where you're like I'm just a friendly orc who's offering you dinner, and they used a tech alignment. What do you do? in that GM situation where the book says evil, but you're pretty sure that he's at least neutral. As a GM, it would be a house rule. I mean, seriously, I would say, you know, this is how alignment spells work. This is how the religion system works, you know. Just an FYI. 
um, because you know you're going to have certain things like why am I rolling 15 and summoning a you know a god or a demon lord and then asking for something and then getting something and getting more power and then you know that whole snowball effect of people who've min maxed. Um, but the thing is that like for spells, you know you house roll to take care of those issues um, because you're inserting your own agency to make the world easier to manage. Yeah, I would so, just, I mean, like, uh, if you had a detect alignment spell, you are exactly going to run into that problem that if you have a player that thinks that he's out to rid the world of evil, he will absolutely cast detect evil and kill every evil thing he comes across. Uh, and, yeah, like, if you're in moral absolutism, that's, it's really character-facing, but it depends on the level you take it. So, let's, I detect yeah. evil on the farmer. He's hoeing his field. He is evil. I am the paladin. I am good. I should go kill him, right? If my party says that, I'm going to be like, Why? Why should I go kill him? He's like, well, you're good. He's like, and I've been ordained by my God to protect good when evil faces us. I can't eliminate evil. My God made evil. You can detect alignment. It's in your DNA. He was born <laughs> evil. He has no free will. He has no ability to not be evil. Once if again, I tried to convince him to be good, I would be doomed to fail and also violating my God's plan. If he attacks the village, I'm there for you, buddy. But otherwise, I'm not just going randomly murdering people throughout the countryside. The same way I'm not going to say the trees aren't designed right. Let me invent a new tree. Uh, yeah, yeah, so like the laws of yeah, so moral like, operating code. Yeah, so if you're going moral absolutism, it is absolutism. Like, uh, so uh, that kind of stuff would go in. Like, if he's evil, my God, meant him to be and, evil. That's uh, the thing about lawful when Calvinists become Calvinists become paladins. Yeah, when Calvinists become paladins. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing about like I guess the lawful alignment that I would say is like you know if you have a lawful character, write down your five tenets. Yeah, these are the laws that you're going to operate off of because a character will be like, well, my laws are they you know they're going to find a way to justify and they will justify anything. Yeah. Really, I, I mean, mean they're creative people. I mean, uh, that's why they're playing this yeah. game. They're going to find a way. I mean, it's not a computer game where you're restricted by mechanics. They will find a way. And so by forcing them to write down what their laws are and then being able to punish them from breaking it, you know, because they're going to say, well, and I justify it around my law. It's like, no, that's your law. God, you know, your God says this. I'm punishing you. So and, <laughs> you're and going on time out. There are a lot of great games that actually have, like, embedded mechanics for writing those tenets down and following those tenets. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. What I do with my games frequently is something I tell my stepkids in real life. You can do anything you want to do. You just got to be willing to live with the consequences of what you've chosen to do. Mm -hmm. You kill Bob the neutral orc. Bob's five cousins that maybe aren't quite so neutral <laughs> and might be quite yeah, a bit neutral. bigger are probably going to come try to take care of the guys who took care of their yeah. cousins. Eye for an eye. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, there's also graded absolutism. Uh, so the best uh, the best way to talk about that is like uh, venial versus mortal sins, uh, where there are absolutes, but uh, the absolutist system recognizes that you may be caught in a choice where the only choices are ordained as inherently wrong by the divine command. And so in that instance, you pick the lesser evil. Uh, so graded absolutism is literally a hierarchy. So like it, for president. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in your, uh, so if in your fantasy or sci-fi setting, uh, anytime I look at graded absolutism, I just immediately start to think of like huge dogmatic, church hierarchy and structures because like that most most religious texts 
uh, are light on graded absolutism, but most long established religious traditions are heavy on graded absolutism because again, it is a far more everyday application of that text and that and you come into those situations like I got two crap choices are they both going to send me to hell and somebody eventually says no this one will this one will just get you punished a little bit um, so uh, that is a great way to define any kind of large church structure be it uh, supportive of the players or antagonistic is what is their hierarchy of inherently good or inherently bad actions. Uh, then there is uh, virtue ethics. Uh, that says that morals are internalized. Uh, your authenticity to your personal code is what determines right and wrong. So it is very much in yourself. So think... Uh, uh, you know, Bushido maybe, uh, though that is, yeah, though that though that is normatized. Uh, it does get normatized across the culture. Uh, if you interpret Bushido that way, that is true. Yeah, who teaches it? Yeah, I mean, look at look at samurai movies. They're often not doing what the other samurais think is Bushido, but the guy you're rooting for is more Bushido than all the other guys. He's technically Yeah, because he's yeah he's more authentic to the code inside himself. Um, so I was trying to think about uh, weird ways to do this in your game, and I and I was. Thinking about this before we came in and I was looking at my Facebook feed and I saw two like alarming things and all the horrible political crap in there I saw Cecil the Lion have you seen this so there's Cecil the Lion uh, and then all my right wing friends meaning people I went to high school with and no longer speak to uh all my right wings are friends like, oh, whining about some dead lion. There's people starving in that country. What about the servicemen in Tennessee? Uh, and then on the flip side of that political spectrum, I see the, oh, stop whining about abortion and Planned Parenthood. What about all those refugee kids you aren't donating charity to? And what I found interesting is that though one is a red state and one is a blue state thing, they are both essentially the same assumption, is that compassion is a finite resource. I have a bucket of compassion in me, and I only got so much to spend. So, uh, yeah, Planned Parenthood's evil, but uh, you should spend it on those refugee kids because you only got so much in the bucket. Oh, but killing lions is evil, but you should spend it on these people in Tennessee because there's only so much in your bucket. So I think an interesting way to do virtue ethics as a character in a game would be a person who absolutely believes that. I have a quantifiable, finite, limited amount of compassion in my body. You spend your and as such, I have to come up with a code of things. That I have to budget it. <laughs> I have to come up with a codified list of okay, it's of things it's okay to care about, <laughs> and then everything else. Screw you, got mine. Uh, and like, I think that would be interesting because that is virtue ethics. I believe this. Here is my system. I follow my system, therefore I am good. I am authentic to my code. Uh, and, that, and I thought that would be an interesting way to do that because like, I see that on the internet all the time. Like, this bad thing happened, but it's not like this other thing happened. I'm like, what? what can you do? Yeah, like, it's, do, so do you have a wallet where you keep your soul in? <laughs> Is it running dry? Like, yeah. Well, one, one thing I do want to mention about virtue ethics in general is that actually a lot of games reward that. 
um, like fate games and like eclipse phase will give players a resource whenever they fulfill their personal code like an eclipse phase you have motivations like uh, I am for plus uplift act you know plus helping the uplifts you know positive uh, helping uplift animals so if you helped an uplift from being attacked by a mob or you uh, somehow help that cause you would gain a point of uh, moxie which is an important act, uh, resource to like give your character re-rolls or something like that uh, so a lot of games do encourage characters to develop a personal code uh, and uh, fulfill that whatever that is uh, so yeah. it would be interesting to see that that the, the reverse of it like you only have so many care points once you run out you can't you don't care. care anymore yeah, yeah. you can't care <laughs> So that, that's sort of yeah, the the inverse of that. So I'd like and to like, there's sociological evidence for that. You can only uh, it's like an average. You can only think of 150 people as people. Something like on propofol. You have yeah, like, like there's some. It, they mention it in uh, this book of Full of Spiders by David Wong, and it's a sociological principle. Is like because you are uh, evolutionally evolutionarily primed to live in sort of a tribal village that structure. There's a limited amount of people that you can like remember faces and empathize with, and then beyond that, it's just them. Like those guys, they, the other, like the mass, the horde. Uh, it's the principle of the zombie movie. It's that, yes, okay, I got my tribe. These are the survivors. And everyone else is just a soulless, mindless thing out to destroy me. Uh, it's a, and that is, uh, that is yeah, that, that's one of those principles. So there's like scientific support for that as well. And it's basically existentialism or else with fate and stuff like that. Be authentic to yourself or be ineffective. Like be authentic to yourself, or don't play the game. Uh, yeah, it is. It is uh, yeah, it, Sart would love fate. Uh, yeah. Um, at least the New World of Darkness takes an interesting approach to that because it rewards both following your personal internal code and also violating it. But the uh, rewards are sized. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like the world of darkness, um, a lot of it you will have paths which are sort of like alignments. But instead, you're given a list of like, uh, here's what your path is about. Uh, so like, especially like in vampire, you can't be. There's the path of humanity. Well, like you're a blood sucking monster, but you know, try not to be as so much of one. You know, uh, or yeah, basically denying what you are. But uh, instead of that, you can be like, yes, I am a vampire. Uh, and I, you know, kill people to survive, and I do these horrible things. But at least I don't do this. And um, redeeming factor. Yeah, some some sort of redeeming factor, some sort of way to rationalize so you don't become a mind. Like the whole idea is, it's a tool for the vampires uh, to hold on to some grip, some sort of rationalization, so they don't become mindless beasts. Because that's their fear is that if they get older, they lose all sense of self. And they become just, you know, instinctual monsters have to be put down by other vampires. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have to hold on that grip. So so um, the, the last one's kind of tricky to define. So, uh, I, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, deontological? Deontological. Deontological, yeah. Uh, deontological, the, uh, rather than the person or the consequences... So the person is virtue ethics. The consequences is utilitarian. Do what is best in the in the result. Uh, deontological is the morals are embedded in the actions themselves, but that is not defined by a divine command. So deontological is often nationalist morality or law systems. These this action is inherently less bad than this action, or this action is inherently better 
than this action. And the thing with deontological is, is that it is tied up with cultural relativism. It, they are not necessarily separate entities because uh, it is entirely normative, normative, it's entirely based on taboo. Uh, to use the most terrifying example, uh, pedophilia was viewed differently in ancient Greece and Rome than it is now. That is the nightmare vision of deontological ethics in that is like, oh no, yeah, he's just, He's just a kitty rapist monster. That's that's just Steve. Oh, Steve. Uh, like back in ancient Rome, whereas now you're like, that was uh, culturally normative. Yeah. 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 It's very yeah. It's very culturally normative. So um, so uh, you really, if you're doing deontological stuff, you're already kind of tied in cultural relativism. But the way to make it interesting in a game, in my mind, is have a normative value shift. Have a major event, preferably a major event that the players cause that makes the society reevaluate its deontological ethics. So again, other horrifying examples. Um, you could look at the, uh, the gun debate after Sandy Hook. That is a deontological discussion that ended up going nowhere. But after something that horrific, it made everyone stop just assuming it. And we all got on Facebook and whined and tried to decide whether we wanted to keep it. And the answer was ultimately yes. Yeah. Uh, yes better bet for the thing would be look at Prohibition. Yeah. yeah. Prohibition, yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Wanting to put liquor out, what the hell did it do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the the road to hell is paved with uh, good intentions and all that. But yeah. uh, well, we got if you wanted a sci-fi example and actually talking about Eclipse Day, since we mentioned that earlier, it'd be like do like uplifts, like oh, we have Planet of the Apes now, like they're they they can talk back to us. Should we keep them in cages? Uh, you know, and test uh, products on them and uh, and different uh, different factions in that setting. If you ever read those books, have different opinions about that, uh, and so they're they're they are very much the persecuted class. In, in that setting. Uh, so that's deontological stuff, but you're really just wrapping back around to cultural relativism since that's so normative. Yeah, prohibition is a good one. All right, things you should try and work in as a GM. Does everybody know the prisoner dilemma? Yeah. All right, prisoner dilemma's great. Do it to your players if you want them to be ethical. So, um, uh, give up your buddy, get away scot-free. You both give each other up, take a lesser sentence. If you are given up, you go away for life. You got the A and the B. If and you make those, if, that, if you make those A's and B's characters are better yet, A, a a PC and B an NPC, uh, because the characters are gonna PC hive mind it. But the GM can be like, yeah, I don't know what the NPC is gonna do. I'm gonna roll for it. Uh, <laughs> what's your choice, buddy? That that's great. Um, you can do the. Uh, the Samaritan Dilemma, so what if you do harm while trying to do good? Uh, that is also related to uh, Thomas Nagel's uh, Spider in the Urinal. I mentioned that in a previous panel, but uh, Thomas Nagel, he goes to the urinal every day in the philosophy department and he sees this spider hanging out atop of the urinal and that's where the spider lives. He puts his little web up where no pee gets and he hangs out in the urinal all day. So one day Thomas Nagel comes in and he gets a piece of paper. He takes the spider out on it and he puts it on the floor. So he comes in the urinal the next day, the spider's in the exact same place. Comes in the urinal the next day, spider's in the exact same tile, exact same space. Comes back the third day, his legs curled up, spider's dead. He was so crippled with fear at his new environment even though his previous environment was a piss-stained wasteland, that it literally killed him. If you want a motive for your villain, he's Thomas Nagel, and the people they're attacking are the spiders. I'm trying to make them better. 
everyone's better off with two heads and laser eyes. I mean, it, that's, I mean the surgery's going to hurt for a little bit. But ultimately, you're gonna thank me. That's a that's a great villain motivation. That isn't just I am evil for evil reasons. Like uh, or uh, to use another nerd trope example, the the main villain from Firefly. I know what I do is bad, but it is for your own good. Daddy knows best is a great motivation for any kind of villain. Uh, there's the trolley par- uh, the trolley problem. You guys know the trolley problem? Trolley's like hurtling down the path. And you have a choice between going path A and path B, and like, uh, you know, so which path is going to do the least harm? Like, there's so there's all these people in the way of the trolley up here. There's one guy in the way of the trolley down here. You're on the trolley. By doing nothing and killing all these people, it is not your fault. It's the trolley's fault. It's the people's fault. It's the fault of the system. You can give away your culpability. By switching the tracks, you have saved all these people for the price of one. But Fox. now it is your responsibility. Because you changed the track. You are the person who changed the track. This one person would have been alive were it not for you. Trolley problems are great things to get your PCs talking in character. What should we do this thing or not? Should we take this should we be sin eaters, basically? Should we take the hard choice ourselves for the greater good? That's the kind of utilitarianism that is planned out and interesting as a character choice rather than the well I'll kill that guy because he has more money. It sounds like the red market's uh, problem you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, very much yeah, that it was basically just a uh, little fancier trolley problem. There's a million different variants of that. Um, and then there's the replacement argument. So we go kill hydras for sport, but they always raise two heads. So yes, those hydras suffer, but we should keep killing them, because by killing them we increase their population. So, for instance, if we did not eat pigs, do you think there would be so many pigs in the world? What's better, a wider range of pig experience, or the fact that that pig experience sucks? Uh, what is a better ethical argument? So the replacement argument is a pretty uh, profound argument for like uh, vegetarianism. You can do that. And then there's original position argument. So like, let's say none of us have read anything, heard anything. We just know language. We just pop into existence. And we have no idea of social structures, history, or anything like that. Let's say we have to design it from scratch. Do we come up with feudalism when we don't know who's going to be king? Like, if all of us are on a blank slate, do I think, oh, he should be king? Or do I think, we should definitely do feudalism, and then I'm like, oh, I got peasant? <laughs> oh. uh, so the original position argument is that if you wipe out human history, it makes the most sense, and any rational being would decide on the most egalitarian, progressive, liberal system possible. Because if you don't know where your position is in the system yet, you would want it to be the best possible chance. Talk about a great villain motivation. I'm just going to wipe the slate clean, man. That's the way we get utopia. Yeah, i got to kill everyone in the world, but it's worth it. This sucks. Slightly modified Dr. Horrible. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, Slightly modified. I'm going to wipe it pure. We're going to start a utopia, man. The problem is that all those other people kept talking while we were trying to do utopia before, so I'll just murder the hell out of them, and I'm then the it'll be perfect. Uh, well, November. Yeah, that, yeah, so that's a, huge, uh, that's a huge motivation for like a villain beyond just... I want to see the world burn for reasons. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, we talked a whole bunch. Uh, we don't have time for questions. 
now. Uh, I'd be happy to talk to people out in the hallway once we like move down the hallway so we don't disturb other panels. Um, if you haven't given us tickets yet, please do. Uh, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to talking to you out in the halls. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank you very much.